The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. The college football playoff rankings are being revealed as we speak. We've got Georgia at one. We've got Michigan at two up. Three spots after that win against Ohio State. Alabama at three. Cincinnati at four. Oklahoma State at five. And the uh, Notre Dame zombie fighting Irish checking in at six. Rounding out the top ten, Ohio State, Ole Miss, Baylor, and Oregon. Uh, We can get a little bit further down if you want. But I guess I want to begin with the most pertinent question in my mind to the college football playoff picture. As Cincinnati sits there, 12-0 and in the four spot. Houston on deck in the American Athletic Conference championship game. Do you still believe your uh, suggestion from Monday's show that if Cincinnati wins, they are in the college football playoff? Yeah, but it's not a guarantee. I mean, I think that if you're Cincinnati, you still really want to root against Michigan and you want to root against Alabama just to be safe. I do think that you're looking pretty good. But again, the biggest concern is while Baylor drops a spot for some reason, I guess it's because they didn't below Texas Tech out by enough and Ole Miss I guess looked better than more better against Mississippi State I don't know but I just you have to remember like Oklahoma State gets to play a top 10 team on Saturday Cincinnati doesn't it's playing Houston which is ranked 21st so it's still a nice quote-unquote resume win but as far as the rankings if they're going to start comparing resumes at that point like if Alabama wins Michigan wins and then Georgia's obviously not going to leave the top four. And then it's like, well, Oklahoma State's got two top ten wins. Cincinnati only has one. Oklahoma State played a more difficult schedule overall. Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. It could easily open the door for them to leave Cincinnati out. But I, I think they're going to put them in because, as we've talked about, why would you put them in the top four now if you didn't plan to leave them there if they won out? Alabama winning and Oklahoma State winning seem to me like the two biggest threats. Mm-hmm. Because that's inarguable. Like if if we want if Alabama, two loss Alabama gets in over undefeated Cincinnati, that's 
I mean, that, that is your meltdown mode, right? Like that, like if, if we were to go to the darkest timeline in terms of the discourse and the conversations that we're going to absolutely hate on, and like the darkest timeline, which we've experienced, we have, we, we flirted with the darkest timeline before, um, when the conversations are dumb and it's all awful, like Alabama beating Georgia and, uh, Alabama beating Georgia makes Alabama deserve it. Alabama yes. losing to Georgia and Get being a lost team and being compared to a 12 and 0 Cincinnati is total disaster zone, right? Yes, but it will still happen for how many hours will there be between the end of the SEC title game and the rankings released on Sunday? Like 24, maybe? Oh, no, not even that. The end of the SEC championships game is going to be about 8 p.m. Eastern. Oh, and they do it in yeah. the afternoon on the Sunday. And we go into the afternoon. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about a really big time, like 16 hours of spin zone. I mean, the college football playoff selection committee members are going to be listening to our instant reaction podcast that we record after the conference championship games once Michigan and Iowa and Pittsburgh and Clemson go final. And so, you know, we really influence the selection committee probably more than a lot of people realize. Mm -hmm. And Sankey's already got the talking points for a two-loss Alabama typed up, written neatly, and sent to everybody. So that way, whenever they do their TV hits on ESPN or Fox or CBS or anywhere, they make sure to point out about how, you know, in the SEC, it just means more. And on a week-to-week basis, it's just tougher to get through, which is why we lost twice, because we're just so good, but everybody else is great. True uh, over under of five minutes for CFP and on making a making an appearance here on the college. Football I don't think that's CFP and on. I think I think if you're Greg Sankey, if you're conference commissioner, that's just doing your job. That's a no. I was just thinking about in general about how we would just be turning this thing into total spin zone. Oh, so okay. All right, for Oklahoma State, what about at the five spot? I, I wanted to start with okay, Cincinnati. Is it winning? You're in. What are the situations that are bad? For Oklahoma State, the one thing that you can control is win. If you lose, you're not in the college football playoff. That's pretty simple. If Baylor wins, I don't think Baylor makes a jump up into the college football playoff. What else does Oklahoma State want to see in order to be in the college football playoff? Well, obviously, it wants Cincinnati to lose. Sure. That way, it's you know you're you're definitely in if you beat Baylor. Um, other than that, I mean, I think I don't think. I think you want Alabama to lose because that could, you know, that way, even if Michigan and Cincinnati both win, you, as long as you win, you should still sneak up on into that fourth spot at a minimum. So I think you definitely want to root for, against Cincinnati. You definitely want to root against Alabama. Honestly, you want to root against Michigan too, because once they get two losses, they'll be out. It's not like Iowa's going to leap into the top four after beating Michigan. So it's pretty straightforward if you're a Cowboys fan. Any team that's ranked above you except for Georgia, because that doesn't matter, root for them to lose. And Georgia is still the only win in your end team, as we discussed on Monday, right? They've got to be. If you want to see angry me, just watch me if they knock Georgia out of the top four because it loses to Alabama. Best team in the country. Um, as we look a little bit further down, Ohio State takes a tumble all the way to number seven. Ole Miss at eight, Baylor at nine, as we mentioned, Oregon at 10. Uh, the Ducks will be in action against Utah in that Pac-12 championship game on Friday night, uh, Utah checking in at number 17. Um, so. Right behind Wake Forest at 16, Pittsburgh at 15. What else do you see in terms of movement? Because the one thing that's interesting about these college football playoff rankings is that for 
you know, about half of them, if not maybe even a dozen or more, the season's done. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're frozen in time. And, and the adjustments that are going to be made in the uh, college football playoff rankings before Sunday are really just going to be some shuffling with those teams that are in action. Uh, Houston checking in all the way down at number 21. How do you see uh, some, some of that movement a little bit further down? Well, shout out to Texas A&M for hanging on to that number 25 spot despite having four losses. Got to have at least one four-loss team in there. Uh, hey, I mean, listen. No, 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 no. If you're going to have a four-loss team in there, I don't mind that it's the one that beat Alabama. Yeah, no, it should be. Of all the four-loss teams, it should still be in there. It's just, you know. Hilarious. Yeah. There, there are other teams that haven't lost four games that you could just give the token 25 spot to if you really wanted to. But, you know. Uh, I mean, honestly, I don't know. I, I'm surprised... I'm not surprised, but like Pitt and Wake are playing for an ACC title on Saturday and Pitt's 15th, Wake is 16th. It's like, you know, the committee really clearly is all season long has shown it does not have a lot of respect for the ACC or anything that's happening in that conference, which that's fine. But at the same time, they've also got, what, four teams in there between that 15 and 20 range. So I guess that's ACC territory now. Utah and San Diego State are surrounded. Um I don't know. See, I, I tweeted as the show was starting, the dumbest thing to me about the college football playoff at this point isn't how they decide the top four. It's just that we have 25 teams still in these rankings because, as you said, over like two-thirds of this list isn't playing anymore until right. the bowls. So it's pointless to rank that many teams. As you get in further into the season, you really only need to rank the top 10 or so, the teams that actually have a chance to get to the playoff. Everything else seems kind of stupid and pointless. What's a, what's the uh, Super 16? Is that Football Writers Association of America? Yeah, the National Football Foundation. I am. Yeah, the, 16 feels good. Uh, yeah, 16 is fine. I think you could probably fit all your playoff contenders in there so and all your the, Power 5 conference champion potential. Okay, well, uh, functionally, the reason they do 25 is for your group of highest-ranked group of five because we're just not used to having our highest-ranked group of five team be a team that's number four in the college football playoff rankings. Mm-hmm. It's because it's sometimes 21. It's sometimes some right checking in right there around 19. Um, so I, I understand why we still go through the song and dance, but uh, I do agree that picking out those 21 through 25 teams late in the process does feel, uh, does feel a little bit like a grab bag of uh, whatever, whatever you want to be able to put the pieces together because you've got Houston, which could be good for Cincinnati. Like Houston might not fall out for losing to Cincinnati. You've got Arkansas. Hello. That was a quality win for uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide. You've got Kentucky. That was a quality win for the Georgia Bulldogs. Louisiana. I mean, you got one loss. Like You can't, can't push them out too far. I know UTSA took its uh, fall from the selection committee top 25 following its first loss, but I think Louisiana has a better strength of schedule ranking. Then as we mentioned, Texas A&M checking in at 25 uh, at eight and four, two, four loss teams in the rankings, a one, two, three, four, three loss teams in the rankings. I don't have a, a big ACC takeaway for the Wake Forest pit just because I mean, Wake, Wake Forest had the wins, but as we mentioned before, strength of schedule and the margin of victory for some of those games, like three loss wins over and over and over again. So I understand why it took a little bit long for them to be able to climb up into the rankings. And once they started taking a couple losses, why they ended up taking a tumble. So clearly, Ohio State is out of the college football playoff conversation. But what do you... I mean, like, are the Buckeyes a lot for the New Year's Six just because they are Ohio State? Yeah, 
I okay. think, I mean, I don't know how the Big Ten's going to approach it. I, I, I feel like if Jim Delaney was still in charge, that Iowa, if it loses to Michigan, would still end up going to the Rose Bowl. I don't know if that's going to be the case now. Ohio State might still get to go to the Rose Bowl, and I think if the Rose Bowl gets its choice, it would rather have Ohio State than Iowa, although both fan bases would travel. It's just, you know, for sex appeal, Ohio State brings a little bit more, especially if they're playing Oregon or Utah. I think that's a better game. So I think they're definitely bound for the New Year's Six because they really have been. I mean, I know they lost to Michigan and they lost to Oregon, but they have been one of the, if you think of it as the 12 best teams belong in those bowls, it's hard to argue against Ohio State not being one of the 12 best teams in the country this year. I believe uh, some conferences do use these college football playoff rankings to decide where to send the representative. Uh, as you mentioned, you know the Big Ten and the Pac-12, who they end up sending to the Rose Bowl, uh, the ACC to the Orange Bowl, so on and so forth. Obviously, this year, ACC, no college football playoff team. Uh, it will be sending its ACC champion on down to the Orange Bowl. What about the position of Notre Dame? Because Notre Dame sits here at number six, 11 and one. There are not a ton of likely scenarios, but enough scenarios, even if they aren't likely, for us to be able to entertain the situation that the results could break such that the Fighting Irish get up into the top four. Do you think that the absence of Brian Kelly will end up playing a role? Because I I said that... Uh, you know, the zombie fighting Irish, like that's not a good television product. I understand Notre Dame is still a great brand and I could be way, way, way off on that opinion. But I think that the coach that just left to go to LSU, I don't know if you are going to want to put that team in the college football playoff. If you have any kind of uh, flexibility, if you've got any kind of, you know, tiebreakers or, you know, splitting hairs along the way, I've got to think that Brian Kelly leaving and look, hold on. This is unfair. This is the kind of stuff that is going to get aggregated. But Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame hurt Notre Dame's chances to win a tiebreaker argument and make the college football playoff. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's Gary Barta said on the show tonight, when he's asked about this specifically about Notre Dame's valuation post Brian Kelly, he said, quote, this week it didn't apply. Once the championship games wrap up, to your point, our protocol does include the ability for the committee to consider a player or coach not being available. At this point, we'll have to wait and see how that factors in. Now, where it gets interesting is if Michigan, Georgia, and Cincinnati all lose, so Cincinnati still got one loss. I don't know if they would let Cincinnati in with one loss. Or an Oklahoma State loses two. So let's say there's a whole bunch of two-loss teams. There's not four one loss or better. You'd still think that would put Notre Dame in. But if it gets to that point, like just from an optics standpoint, do you want a team with an interim coach in the college football playoff? That's right. I had it penciled actually as Alabama losing so you get them. So it's basically like Iowa beats Michigan. Georgia blows Alabama out of the water. Like mm -hmm. Cincinnati 30, loses to Houston. 31 to 10. Cincinnati loses. Baylor beats Oklahoma State. Like all of that scenario is what gets Notre Dame up there. And in, in that scenario that I just laid out, Notre Dame's in. Sorry that you got an interim coach. It's really weird. We end up spending all month talking about it. But it's more to me about the if it's only half of those results or if it's only a couple of those results such that it becomes a little bit more of a debate between, you know, say 11 and one Notre Dame, 11 and two conference champion Baylor. 
right? So that's the thing. Like, I think that Brian Kelly leaving might be the one thing that could put a two-loss conference champion in. Because if they are looking at it and the resume is similar, like, if you're saying, okay, well, Baylor, it's, it's 11-2. and two. Just beat our number six team. It beat, you know, they, they go through the resume. And then you compare it to Notre Dame, who lost to Cincinnati. And if you try to find its best win, there are good wins, but there's no like, ooh, wow, that's a great win on there. So you're looking at those two. They're probably going to be kind of close to the metrics. And then that does kind of become, it's like, well, Baylor has its coach. Right. And I think that, you know, you could say in a way, Brian Kelly leaving is Notre Dame's second loss. That's a really good line. Have you dropped that one yet? No, I just did. Copyright it, trademark it. I better not see it anywhere else. And if you do use it, you better credit me. Yeah, that's right. Tom Fernelli says, Brian Kelly leaving is Notre Dame's second loss. I will sue you. I will back it up. It will be held against them. Okay, what about the Alabama wins scenario? Because it's a six and a half point spread. I You have hinted at what your opinion is going to be on Thursday's championship locks pod. You have suggested your feelings about this Alabama team, but I'm just saying if Alabama does win, like what are the, what are the threads that you see happening after that? Well, Alabama and Georgia are both in Correct. for sure. And then it really just depends. Like if Michigan wins, it's in. There's if three. If Cincinnati wins, probably in if Oklahoma it's it's going to come down to whichever one of those teams loses that's I mean if if Alabama wins it's in Georgia's in no matter what and then the other two spots will just be decided by the Big Ten title game the AAC title game and the Big 12 title game would you as a selection committee member vote for 13 and 0 Cincinnati over 12 and 1 Big 12 champion Oklahoma State no You'd vote for Oklahoma State? Yeah, because at that point, Oklahoma State will have beaten Baylor twice. And Baylor right now is a top 10 team. They were only in the 20s back when they played them originally. But that's because they didn't start the season ranked. Therefore, they couldn't have been good in that point. But so they'd have two wins over Baylor and they'd have a win over Oklahoma. Cincinnati's got its win over Notre Dame, which is huge. But I don't think beating Houston on a neutral field is quite the same thing as beating Baylor and Oklahoma in the regular season and then beating Baylor again on a neutral field. And I just think that the overall strength of schedule, Oklahoma State's going to have an advantage there because like Cincinnati, as good as it is, and I believe it's a very good football team, it does play a much weaker schedule in the AAC because there are a lot of teams at the bottom of that conference that are not good this year. I, I would vote Cincinnati but you do not have a bad argument. I think it is the last truly interesting debate in this 2021 college football playoff picture is 13-0 Cincinnati against 12-1 Oklahoma State. Mm -hmm. And whether that matters or not, we'll see. I would vote Cincinnati probably a little bit more with my heart than my head just Same. because yeah. like zero in the loss column, you've done this for so long, you just you, you almost just want to get this over with. Um, but... Oklahoma State, based on the quality, number of quality wins, will have more quality wins than Cincinnati, even with that Notre Dame game still being uh, very valuable. The rest of those aren't necessarily holding up in exactly the same way. Yeah, the rest of the AAC kind of really let Cincinnati down. And also, SMU just kind of like 
sleepwalking to the finish line after everybody knew Sonny was leaving for the TCU job didn't help because that hurts the metrics for everybody in that conference as far as the strength of schedule metric that you use. Because the more those losses pile up, the lower the entire thing goes. So it kind of hurts Cincinnati in a way. So meanwhile, in the Big 12, yeah, Kansas is terrible. But even Kansas was improving as the season went along. And the next worst team in there is still like a 5-7, and 4-8 and eight team. In the AAC, there are like a bunch of 3-9 and nine teams right now. So it's just overall, the SOS is not going to do Cincinnati any favors. There is a very, very, very dark perspective for a, uh, a Notre Dame fan where you are rooting violently against Cincinnati and it's less to do with the college football playoff. Just to get Luke quicker. More than get Luke Fickle on board. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like if you're a Notre Dame fan, you should definitely be rooting against Cincinnati because A, it's your best path to the playoff. And B, you can get your coach quicker because I, I really do think that's going to be the outcome. Just a matter of when. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Dodd reported that Luke Fickle is the number one target and that Notre Dame is willing to wait through the process. Uh, it is told its assistants to stay on the road, continue recruiting and working on the uh, recruiting class for the early signing period. What's next? Uh, who knows there? But it sounds like we won't get any movement right away as Notre Dame sits on the couch this weekend. It's funny. I think I suggested it's like Notre Dame should play BYU, you know, this Saturday for some kind of 13th data point. And look, that would be. That'd be Fantastic. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Be, we'd enjoy it. It'd, it'd be way better than USC Cal. The independent uh, in conference title game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, but I do think that that's a, that's a fascinating fan headspace to be in as a Notre Dame fan where you're looking at your opportunities to get into the college football playoff. Do you want to be in the college football playoff? And most importantly, to your point, do you just want to make sure that whatever coach you want to interview loses so that you don't have to wait until the end of the college football playoff uh, to go and get it? What about um, sorry. all right? If this is a this is a good little question from Sam. Let's see. Who is the fourth team if number two, Michigan, number three, Alabama, and number four, Cincinnati all lose? So Michigan's got two losses. Cincinnati has one loss. Alabama's got two losses. Oklahoma State wins in this scenario? I guess so. So Oklahoma State jumps up to two. I, th I think Notre Dame's in in that scenario. I think Notre Dame isn't in that scenario. And then it's going to be a two-loss conference champion. Or it might be one-loss Cincinnati. Although I do think that... <laughs> like or it might be Alabama. It might be Alabama, but... I, it better not be. I do think that. Uh, what about like, two lost non-champion Ohio State? No, I feel the same way about that as I do Alabama. If you've got two losses and you didn't win your conference, you have no right to be in the playoff. You lost twice and you didn't win your conference. How does that prove you deserve to be play for being the best team in the country? Logically, what sense does that make? Fair, but their their job is not to choose the most deserving teams. Their only job is to choose the four best teams. Yeah, the best, well, the four best teams that make best ratings at that point. Uh, no, I mean, it's hard to say what they would do. I just, I would like to think in that scenario, one loss Cincinnati would stay in. But considering where they rank every other group of five team, as soon as they lose a game, Cincinnati might plummet to 22 for all we know. So in the scenario that was just brought up, 
Houston would be a 12 and one conference champion. Are they still too far back to be able to get in there? That would be really interesting to see how far Cincinnati falls and how high they raise Houston to see who gets that group of five spot. Mm-hmm. I do think, I think Cincinnati would probably still get it based on the win over Notre Dame. But at the same time, if, if Houston has head to head, if they've got the same record and Houston's good enough to beat the team you had ranked fourth, maybe you were underrating Houston a little bit. Well, they would also prove they if Houston beat Cincinnati, that's 12 straight wins. They lost the opener to Texas Tech, blew a lead in the second half, and haven't lost since. How much so, do they regret that? Mm. <laughs> mm. Well, T, listen, we've watched Houston. That's that's not a 12 and 0 team. No. Right. I say that with love in my heart. You know, in the same way that we said Wake Forest when it was undefeated, we we're like, yeah, it might be a nine and three, ten and two team. I it just it it hasn't all bounced the other way. I don't know where it is now. I think it's improved based on their last couple of games. But I remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this stuff, and I looked at the strength of schedule of the 130 FBS teams. Houston's strength of schedule ranked 130th, which again goes to my point earlier about how bad the American has been after you get past like the top three teams. The rest of that conference has been terrible. All right. So what about the Oregon checks in at number 10 uh, at 10 and two again, Utah also uh, up there currently at number 17, nine and three overall Utah, you know, handing the ducks their second loss. They still have the win over Ohio state in this two, three and look this, I understand we're, we're going deep down the rabbit hole here, but I want to at least like we've got all of these uh, awesome listeners and viewers that are checking in that are trying to play, play this game along with us. But if Oregon blows Utah out of the water and it w- in doing so avenges, remember the old Georgia 2017 argument? Mm-hmm. It was like, does it beat Auburn in the SEC championship game? It avenged the only loss that it had had that season. So if Oregon were to blow Utah out of the water, of course, not its only loss, but um, do the Ducks have any fighting chance to be able to make it up in the top four? I think so in that crazy scenario. Because the two, three, and four all lose? Because, yeah, I think that if you're a two-loss conference champion and there's going to be a two-loss team, I think you should get selected above a two-loss non-conference champ. So I don't know if they would stick to that, but if I'm running that committee, yeah. Oregon would have a better shot of a than eleven and two Alabama or a ten and two Ohio State, especially because you consider like, in a way, we've seen the committee. They don't come out and say it this way, but when you avenge your loss from earlier, they kind of they kind of erase that loss in a way. You know what I mean? Like it's not you're no longer got two losses. You've kind of only got one and a half, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had two losses, but they beat them since that loss. So therefore, it, listen, we had a we had an econ class at North Carolina where if you got a better exam grade on the next exam, it could then replace your last one. And so, of course, I mailed in the entire semester and just let it all ride on the final exam as whatever happened is going to be my grade. My but, approach to AP calculus senior year it, of high school. Yeah, like more sensible people would not try to set themselves up for that. But the college football playoff selection committee uses the same uh, rules as my econ professor, which is like, yeah, but if you beat them later, we're willing to overlook whatever happened before. Um Seriously, though, shout out to any teacher or professor who does that with the final making it that important. 
because that really does allow you not to have to do anything all semester long. Just know what you're doing when you show up for the final. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because then you learned the lessons. Then Thank you, you for respecting our time. <laughs> <laughs> you, as, as long as I can prove to you that I have digested, at least for a three-hour period, the concepts of this course, then, hey, you've done your job. Great job, prof. Five stars on pick a prof. <laughs> um, okay, so... I want to talk about number two, Michigan, because uh, we're going to spend some time actually doing previews of the conference championship games in our locks pod, but Michigan is in a new territory. You know, it's in the Big Ten championship game for the first time under Jim Harbaugh. This is the best chance. I hope I'm not out of line here. I believe this is the best chance for Michigan to win a national championship in, in more than a decade. Oh, yeah. Well, six. Yeah. When was the year they were one and two against Ohio State? I, I think that, that was, was 06. 06. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, probably since then for sure. So where is the conf? I mean, Michigan j- makes this jump up to number two off the backs of this incredible win and it was dominant and it was sort of an encapsulating of everything we've seen from the Wolverines when they were at their best this year. So where are you at with this Michigan team as it approaches the final step in terms of being able to take care of business against Iowa and secure this opportunity? I think it's a really good team that could easily be playing in the championship game and not the Big Ten. I mean, in the college football playoff national title game. I think that, I mean, my suspicion is that they're going to beat Iowa and they won't have too difficult of a time doing it because I think that Michigan is Iowa turned up to 11 in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's like everything that Iowa uses as a strength against in other matchups goes up against a Michigan strength, but Michigan's better at it. So I just don't think this is a great matchup for them. I think that obviously Harbaugh and the Wolverines have struggled in Iowa City, but this game's not going to be in Iowa City. It's going to be indoors on turf where I don't think Michigan is an elite speed team. Like it's not as fast as Ohio State is, but it's faster than Iowa. And you're putting it on turf. I think that Iowa's going to have problems matching up with that. So I do think they get past the Hawkeyes. And then once they get to the playoff, maybe they're facing Alabama. I think they can beat Alabama. Because as we have seen, Alabama's biggest problem is in its offensive line. And where's Michigan really strong? Aiden Hutchinson, Ajabo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without so a doubt. And I think they can run the ball on Alabama. I think they can run the ball on anybody. So I think they're a very dangerous team. I think that if they get to the title game, probably against Georgia, I think Georgia beats them. But I don't think it would be a blowout by any stretch. I think that Michigan would be able to hang tough in that game because my the biggest thing with me for the Wolverines all years is I was watching them is like I knew it was a really good team, but you've been in that position with Michigan so many times where it's like, all right, they're good. You know they're good. But then they go up against a real an elite team like Ohio State and they get pants and you realize, all right, they're good, but they were also taking advantage of inferior teams. Seeing them play like that against Ohio State last week, I'm convinced now this is a really good team. I don't know if it's going to win a national title, but I do think it's going to be playing for one. Good coconut right here. The Wolverines are 6-0 and against the spread in their last six games on field turf. That's that's what happens when you get that Michigan speed. All right, you want you want the uh, the hater the hater aid context? Yes. So they played like Florida in a kickoff game. They played another team like a another team in a bowl game they didn't want to play against. They, it's just just a bunch of teams that weren't ready for them. All right, they're just they're just padding their stats right there. Yeah, I'm also pretty sure like I th- I'm pretty sure Michigan Stadium has field turf. 
<laughs> so that probably plays a role in it too. Um, okay. But so hey, Michigan home overs, not by accident. It's that turf. You get that speed on that plastic grass. You can't stop them. I, I spent some time today daydreaming about a Georgia, Michigan, uh, national championship game. And I was like, I hope they put it in SD. <laughs> if Georgia and Michigan are going to play the national championship game, I, I, I don't, I don't want the full high definition of the sky cam. I, I want it to feel like 2002 out it, there. It would be very poetic, though, for a Georgia-Michigan title game, just based on the fact that what's been the one thing in Georgia's way? Alabama. What's been the one thing in Michigan's way? Ohio State. If they're able in the same year they both get past that mountain for them to then meet in the title game while neither Alabama and Ohio State are in the playoff, I just think there's some you know nice poetic kind of finishing touch there. The, all the bullies just happen to all be suspended. And they're just all so thankful that they can eat at the lunch counter without getting their pants pulled yeah. over their head. Finally, a win for the little guys. <laughs> well, you wrote in the Monday after, and it's been a really good theme, but it's just like Oklahoma, we spend so much time last year and it you know came close to paying off year before and headed into this year, we say, you know, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama have accounted for, what is it, 21 of the 28? 20 of the 28. 20 of the 28 available college football playoff spots. Mm -hmm. And now we have a scenario where it's pot. We know that three of them are going to be gone. And it's possible that four of them are going to be gone. You throw out Notre Dame. If Notre Dame doesn't make it, then it would be Georgia and three newbies, which mm -hmm. is a, I mean, it's honestly what the college football playoff needed in terms of anyone that was all concerned about interest, which is why they are going to announce on Wednesday that they won't expand because look at all these newbies that go, got their membership cards. I was about to say, that's what's really ironic about this season is that we began with the idea of expansion and the biggest thing behind it was everybody's sick of seeing the same teams playing. They want to give everybody else a chance. And then a few months later, after that gets kiboshed because Texas and Oklahoma make the jump to the SEC and everybody no longer wants to talk to each other, then we get a completely new playoff field. <laughs> so it's like, wait, maybe things are more open than we thought. And honestly, based on some of the trends we've seen in the coaching cycle the last you know couple of days, I think that we, I, I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic that we're heading back towards a time where there are good teams spread all over the country, which I think is good for the sports overall health because that keeps more people interested in it. And I mean, that is the biggest argument that everybody makes for expanding the playoff is you can keep more fan bases interested but you might not have to do it at this point. Like if USC becomes a power again, Pac-12 will be interesting all year. I don't have, I'm, I'm going to say it might've been Alan Kenny, who I like, Clayton Homerism on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, but Oklahoma he, guy. Yep. Yeah, Oklahoma guy. He, he brought up stakeholders versus shareholders. He said college football has a lot of stakeholders and no one ever talks to the shareholders. The shareholders are the fans and all the decisions are being made driven by the interests of the stakeholders. And... We have to just sit and hope that it ends up playing out well for us. Tomorrow, we might get the announcement that the college football playoff is expanding. They might tell us 12 teams. They might tell us six automatic qualifiers. But they might just say, we're going to 12. We'll give you the details later. <laughs> but tomorrow, we might get an announcement. Do you think that we get it tomorrow? They're expanding? No. I feel like it would have leaked by now. I don't know. Too many loose lips, too many people that have, you know what I mean? It's, no, I think, I, I think that before the official announcement happens, we would have heard it from somebody. I'll, 
I'll say that if all those reporters are going to fly to Dallas, it wasn't to get the penultimate college football playoff rankings. I think I think we'll get some we'll get some quotes, we'll get some stories. I'm, I'm not making the executive decision here, but we already did one emergency podcast for the college football playoff <laughs> expanding. I'm going to say nah. Well, I mean, but that's you know I else like a bunch of people can be flying to Dallas because we're all people who like hanging out with each other. So it's an excuse to fly to Dallas on the company dime and hang out with your friends. What sit a, company dime? Sit in a hotel bar, drink, have fun, talk some stuff, you know, and then go home. Absolutely. Who needs families? Um, <laughs> all right. So what else? Anything else from the, uh, the as, as we look ahead to conference championship weekend, the new rankings that are set, anything stand out to you? Uh, not really. No. I mean, it's... No, <laughs> not that we haven't touched on. Yeah, I mean, BYU, I don't think it counts as a group of five team in case Cincinnati loses. Will soon. But it no, will. yeah, that's the, I, that, I, what is BYU's situation with that? Like, I, I can't remember. It's something different where they have to be ranked at a certain point, I think, to be included. But I think it's the top 12. So, you know what? That could be it. The committee could be protecting against the Cincinnati loss by putting BYU in the top 12. Mm, so it could be the highest rated non-Power 5 champ, mm-hmm. even if it's not a conference champ. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. That's it's, it's never been something I had to pay attention to before. <laughs> We've never been in the situation where we actually have one of these teams is a possible playoff team. Well, and also the college football playoff selection committee, I think that if BYU is in the top 12, could just throw BYU in the New Year's six. Mm-hmm. I think that they do have a, those at-large spots. There's nothing that commits them to saying that it is the highest ranked at-large spots. I think they could grab anybody, be able to throw them in there. And considering what BYU has done as the Pac-12 champions, you got to at least uh, give them a shot at that. And I will say, if you're a bowl executive who wants to fill your stadium with people, BYU is a pretty attractive property to bring. Dude, BYU in the Fiesta is gold. Yeah. Put BYU in the Fiesta Bowl and Against you will Iowa. sell all those tickets. Oh, yeah. You will. They'll sell out their contingent quick. Yeah. Without, is it Sean Masterson? Isn't BYU the Pac 12 champ? Uh, Yes. Okay. BYU does need to finish in the top 12 of the CFP rankings to be able to have a shot at the New Year's Six. And so as they sit here at number 12 with their season done at 10 and 2, then I guess you are rooting for Oklahoma State to beat Baylor, Utah to beat Oregon. Um, you know, anything that would take those teams at uh, 9 and 10 and maybe bounce them behind you and give you the best shot. You want Michigan to beat Iowa so you don't get jumped by the Hawkeyes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, not. I, I see some uh, some some BYU New Year's Six potential based on the way that these rankings are are set. And hey, maybe maybe that's the biggest headline. Maybe we can tap into that uh, that BYU audience that maybe is checked out of these college football playoff rankings. BYU but, New Year's Six bound after new college football playoff rankings released. I mean, honestly, if if Cincinnati ends up in the playoff, you might as well put BYU in a, in a New Year's Six bowl too. Yeah, it, I, it's I, earned I, it. I would rather see BYU in a New Year's Six Bowl than a, a three-loss Big Ten team, ten and three Baylor. I see. No, I think Baylor deserves it. Okay, but just like ten and two uh, Ole Miss. No, ten and two Ole Miss is going. 
Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Uh, then I. Uh, it gets tricky. Yeah, who would I rather have BYU in? Um, God, Notre I, Dame, zombie Irish, get them out the paint. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really want to watch an interim coach Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, I don't know, unless it's Luke Fickle coaching them by that point. Well, Marcus Freeman's coaching the Bearcats in this college football playoff. And again, we're talking about BYU, not as the highest rated uh, G5 group, team, just getting an at-large. Team, just being an at-large team, which mm-hmm. is the flexibility that the college football playoff selection committee reserves for a couple spots within the New Year Six uh, to be able to go and grab anyone. So BYU currently uh, in a spot where they could grab that. You have Michigan State and BYU. That would be a... I would rather see BYU than Michigan State. I think Michigan State's had plenty of chances to earn that spot. And also, failed. this is like unfair. No selection committee member should think this. But if we're talking as a fan, Kenneth Walker ain't playing in no Dagon Bowl game. Yeah. Well, no, he said the other day he might. He said he might play in a bowl game. It probably depends on the bowl game. I'm going to say if like they get if they're in the Capital One Bowl, I don't think he plays. If they're in the Fiesta Bowl or the Rose Bowl or a New Year Six Bowl, I bet he plays. I wish him full health and a high draft pick because that man has been awesome. Mm-hmm. Have you? Uh, all right, so we got all of our Heisman voting information in today. Mm-hmm. How many players are on your short list going into the final weekend? Ten. We're, we're not going to reveal our ballots Ten. because we respect the Heisman voting process and we appreciate the opportunity to be able to vote. Unlike the other 898 voters that just don't pay attention all season and you know, hit me up and text me and then turn their ballot in. No, we we cover this sport incessantly. We do a billion emergency podcasts and we do have Heisman votes. I think my short list is between five and seven. And for those who don't know anything about the process, I've talked about it here before, there's only three spots on the ballot. Mm-hmm. All these... All this year these, was five, especially this year. Yeah, all, all these other media members will be out here telling you a list of 12 players who all deserve a shot to go be a Heisman Trophy finalist without taking into consideration that if I made you rank all these players, the ones you're talking about wouldn't crack the top four. Mm-hmm. So guess what? They don't make the final ballot, so they're not going to be finalists. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm down to like seven, I think, and I need to, to obviously cut it and then try to How have How many are defensive players? One or two. Okay. That's about it. Yeah. Okay. I've got 10. I've got, I will just say I've got multiple defensive players, but I want to also say that I wrote this in the Monday after on Monday for anybody out there making the argument that no offensive player has stood out enough to win the Heisman. Therefore, this is the year a defensive player should. And then you list five defensive players who deserve the Heisman. You are literally making the same argument for why an offensive player should win the Heisman. So maybe think that one through. The defensive player that I have. On my short list that is in the SEC championship game, ain't that one. Nope. Same here. <laughs> so Same we'll here. see. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for that last data point to be able to fall. Uh but uh one more question for you. How many punters are remaining on your short list? I don't I mean listen, I've got a Ray guy. I can I can give my love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can give my love to the punt god, Matariza. I love Matariza, but I'm not crossing the punter deserves to win the Heisman threshold. No. No. <laughs> Sound like my one-year-old son. No. No. 
so yeah, we we will uh, obviously be um, discussing more about the college football playoff and these conference championship games, the many uh, impacts that they have on the CFP and the Heisman Trophy race. More to come on Wednesday. We are actually going to be taking a look back because it's time to give out our November superlatives. We did it for uh, September. We were geniuses because in September we named Mel Tucker and Kenneth Walker our coach of the month and our player of the month. And guess what? Ended up being some of the most impactful coaches and players in the entire season. We ran it back in October. And so on Wednesday, we will be doing uh, our November superlatives. Uh, Thursday, of course, our conference championship locks. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com.